This is Uncle Steve's niece, Bethany, and he's my real uncle. He told me to tell you that the show is about to start right now. Welcome to episode 45 of Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone. This week I've got a special guest here with me and you get to hear us rank some of the live albums by Iron Maiden. Yes, some of the live albums. I think you know why it isn't all of them. Also, he helps me in more ways than that, but you'll have to listen to see exactly how that happens. Now, before we get rolling here, I would be remiss if I didn't thank all of the nice people that have shared the show with their friends. Now, the following people shared it on Twitter. Uh, Username FR at NZ, Andy in Falkirk, UK, and the Liverpool Scousers, Don McIntyre and Stephanie Jane Gray. On Facebook, it was shared by the Liverpool Scousers, and Michael Blair from Grandview, Texas. I also had a special edition that came out on Thanksgiving Day called Revelations. That one was shared on Facebook by uh, nobody. Uh, I forgot to share it on Facebook, so sorry. But I did share it on Twitter, and it was shared on Twitter by Luis Mariano from Venezuela, Andy in Falkirk, UK, Don McIntyre from Liverpool, England, the weekend warrior himself, Georgie Whitnall's dad, as well as by Kirsty Prince, who lives in Perth, Australia. Thank you so much to all of you that shared it. I really, really do appreciate it. Now, let's get to the real reason you're here, to hear my special guest that we all adore so very much.
All right, I have a very special treat for you today. I have one of the most popular people I've ever had on my podcast. He is um he's a wonderful speaker and he loves to be complimented. Um <laughs> uh, I've got the Kiwi from New Zealand and I'm totally lying, he hates it. Uh, I've got the Kiwi from New Zealand James on the line with me. How are you doing, sir? Uh, hey Steve, I was very close to hanging up there and just hiding in my closet. <laughs> How are you? Doing good, doing good. Um, now, what we're going to talk about is, um, and we, we, you already know this, but for the listeners, um, Iron Maiden supposedly has released a new live album. I'm not really sure because <laughs> I've, you know, it's a week out and I still haven't heard it yet. So I'm kind of wondering if it was much ado about nothing. But um, can you confirm this for me? Is, is this true? Well, I wish I could, but. Man, my one hasn't even shipped my copies, but I, I have been able to listen to it on a streaming service. So okay, yeah, it's out. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I when I went and saw the Legacy of the Beast show, I did I did as much as I could to uh, shield myself from the set list so I could go into it the way we did in the old days. When you went and saw the tour, you didn't really know what they were going to play, and I want to do the same thing with this album now that I've obviously heard the first couple of tracks that they released. I want to get the CD and I want to actually listen to it. I want to at least have it on my phone and listen and know that I'm listening to it on from my own personal copy of the album. I don't want to go to Spotify or iHeartRadio or something like that. And so I'm just holding out at this point. At this point, I'm not even mad about it anymore. I don't even care. I just <laughs> the the disappointment. Yeah, I'm, I'm, go ahead. I've enjoyed listening to it on, on the streaming service. I use. Um, uh, YouTube music. Okay, I've got a headphone amp that I plug into my laptop and I play it through there, so the sound's actually pretty good. Oh, cool. But I really miss opening the vinyl, cutting through the cellophane wrap, unfolding, you know, the trifold and mm-hmm. pulling the the albums out one by one, lovingly caressing them in my hand, <laughs> photographing them for my collection. You know, I, I've missed that whole ritual. Yeah. So it's it's kind of put a bit of a damper on it, to be honest. Yeah, it's. Someone was telling me, I believe it was Alan Bell. He had said to me, you need to find a local store and next time just go down there and order it in advance. And I was just like, well, I wonder if you could go down and order. Cause the copy I ordered came with everything. It came with vinyl, CD, t-shirt, uh, your favorite item, the lanyard, um, <laughs> just, you know, but it came with everything that they offered. And I was like, I want the full package. So, um, I don't know if it, I guess that would be something to check, but oddly enough, I live in a huge Metroplex. I live in the the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex here in Texas, and I can only think of two record stores, and the closest one is thirty miles away from where I live. So, wow, yeah. What's a Metroplex? It sounds like you're living in some sort of sci-fi reality. <laughs> uh, the Metroplex, just what they refer to it as. I don't know how they would refer to it. Over there, but it's like, like, say you got Fort Worth, then there's a smaller city called Saginaw, then there's a small city called Hazlitt, and then there's a small city called Roanoke, and there's all these small cities that are just kind of on the outskirts of where the city ends, and it's like one ends and another begins with just a line, and you know, with just a you're cross over the street, and you're on the and you're now you're in the other city, and it starts there. Uh, that's just how they refer to it as 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 just the big area they call it the Metroplex. I guess that's what they call it. So. Yeah, I don't know what they would call wow, it. That sounds cool. Maybe, maybe they would call it boroughs. 
Oh, I, I don't know. I think we'd call it the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. So what we're going to do here is we're going to rank the live albums by Iron Maiden. Your list is probably going to be different from mine. Well, we know the list will be different, but you have uh, you you actually added in the new uh, Knights of the Dead album, which I'm not adding in just because if I was adding it in based on the show I saw, man, it's it's probably top five. Mm. For sure, I don't know. If, I don't know where yet, though. It's 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 hard to, even though my list changed just the other day, it's kind of hard to think about this. So we're gonna start with the number one album and work our way down. You said you did a top five. I actually have a top ten, which the number ten really is just there because I wanted to make it an even ten. So <laughs> since you are my, now, g- we were talking. Go ahead. We were talking before we had recalled that there was like. Well, we, we worked it out at about 16 different releases that we could call live releases. Sure. So, yeah. I, so there's a lot to choose from. There's definitely a lot to choose from, that's for sure. So I'm going to let you go first because you're my guest. So if you will, tell me, tell everybody else, what is your number one top live release by Iron Maiden? Okay. Um my number one, and yeah, it's the obvious, but I don't care. It's brilliant. It's live after death. Mm. Um, for a lot of people, this was their introduction to Maiden. I know a lot of people on your show yeah. got into the band through live after death. Um, it was one of my first purchases, and it's, it's definitely the live album I've listened to the most. Um, the sound on it is, in my view, perfect. The balance between the crowd and the band is spot on, but more on that later. Um the, the sound of the recording, like the, the the fidelity you can pick up with Martin Birch's production is just flawless. Sure. Um, but the real reason, I mean, that, that, that's all good stuff, but there's other live albums by Maiden that, that sound good as well. Um, and the set list, you know, there's a lot of songs there that are on a lot of other live albums, so the set list isn't exactly unique. But the thing that made it number one for me is side four of Live After the <laughs> and And the B-sides. Because there's some really interesting stuff there. If you look at side four, which is all recorded at Hammersmith Odeon, you've got amazing, amazing versions of 22 Acacia Avenue, Children of the Dam, Dorothy Boots On, uh, probably the definitive version of Rothschild. Uh, but the absolute highlight, the total standout from the entire album is the live version of Phantom of the Opera that they recorded at Hammersmith. Oh, wow. It's it's just yeah, it's stunning. Um but also shout out for Live After Death because when they released the singles for it, they included B-sides that weren't on the live album. So live B-sides that weren't on the live album already. So you get Lost for Words, uh, the instrumental, okay. again, live at Hammersmith Odeon, and an amazing version of Murders in the Room Org, um, again, from Hammersmith Odeon. So it's those extra tracks, the stuff beyond Long Beach Arena, that for me make Live After Death just so much better than all the other releases. Cool, cool. How about you? Um, well, I'll tell you what I think about Live After Death because that way, whenever, whenever uh, you're not going to like this part, but the way, you're not going to like the way I word this, <laughs> but whenever I eventually get to Live After Death on my list. Yeah, <laughs> it could be a while, it, huh? It, yeah, it, it's no could be. It's definitely going to be a while. <laughs> but um, yeah, my, I love Live After Death. It, it was my intro to the band. I mean, that was, I was in school. I had, uh, I had heard Peace of Mind. A friend of mine got in trouble and he had to write a 10 page. 
we called it a 10 page paper. And it was basically, he had to write front of a piece of paper, front and back was one page. And he had to do 10 pages of it for whatever he got in trouble for. I don't know. I don't remember what it was about or anything, but uh, he said to me, Hey, if you'll do this for you, I'll give you this, uh, Iron Maiden live after death cassette. And I was like, okay, I want the, I'm getting into music at that point. So I'm really into a lot of things and I had heard peace of mind and I, I, I knew that I wanted to hear it and have it. So I wrote it for him. I got it. So that was, you know, hearing that, hearing all of those songs, Phantom of the Opera and hearing uh, Running Free and and Wrathchild, those are all things that I heard for the very first time on that album. So I love it. I mean, I really like it. I mean, there's always, there's so many things that when you hear it, you just automatically, if you're listening to the song, even the studio version, and you'll hear certain things where like he just goes, speak to me, Hammersmith. You know, you just, certain lines or, you know, yeah. scream for me, Long Beach and things like that. You just, they automatically, it's just like they're, they're just embedded in my mind that that's I, what goes there. I do think it's the most quotable live album I've ever heard from Maiden or any other band as well. I think like Bruce's little uh, banter between him and the crowd. Yeah. It's all gold. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, now I will say this. I, I've, I, Nowadays, it seems like almost like you said, because because of where they are in the career and, and all of the songs from this album that have been played over the years, it, listening to it almost seems like a great a greatest hits album because there's so much from the peace of mind and the number of the beast and power slave. But they, funny enough, on a lot of these later albums like Death on the Road and Rock and Rio and uh, um, what's the other one I was thinking of? Um, the the live chapter, each of those albums, uh, they ironically, they play six songs from each album. It's weird that they would play six, six and six from those three albums. Right. <laughs> but, um, on this, on this here, they played four, they played four tracks from power slave, which of course you, like you said, they played lost for words as well. So that, that didn't make it on here. Um, yeah. And of course, they played a thirteen-minute song and an eight-minute song too. So that might have been the reason they cut it short. Yeah, it sort of sort of blows it out. But yeah. when you look, it's funny though. When you look at Book of Souls, and they played six songs off of Book of Souls, you know, uh, and the the title song is ten minutes long, and then you got Red and the Black was like thirteen minutes long. So uh, they didn't make the, they didn't they changed the rules moving forward, I guess. But um, yeah, totally. I wrote you know I wrote some notes down about this, but here's what I wrote. I love the version of Phantom of the Opera on this album. I've I've always said that that's my absolute favorite version of that song, but I might have changed my mind on it this weekend. Um, and then I also wrote side four is my favorite <laughs> Wrathchild, 22 Acacia Avenue, children of the damned and Phantom of the Opera. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Die with your boots on is there too, but uh, let's just forget that part. Oh come on! Oh, it's a great no, song. No, no, weak, <laughs> weak. It's great. It's fun. It's fun. It's one of the few fun Maiden songs. <laughs> I mean, I don't hate it. Like when I hear it, I, I'll sing along. But I, I never liked the. Um, if you're gonna die. If you're gonna, I know, you, you gotta deal with the, you gotta, you gotta put the X in on. If you're gonna die, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then part of it almost sounds like they're whispering. If you're gonna die, <laughs> you know, so it's just, it's uh, 
But yeah, that I, I think side four is great. Um, having 22 Acacia Avenue and Children of the Dam both, you know, Children of the Dam for you. This one? This one? Here we go. Yeah. Uh, and, and like I said, Phantom of the Opera, I've, that was the song when I heard this album. You know, I liked it. I liked a lot of the album when I first heard it, but hearing Phantom of the Opera, for some reason, that's just the one that has always stuck out for me. The one that yeah. I just, and it's, you know, it, Okay, we've been going a while here, so I'll go ahead and I'll stop. I'll stop with what I've said, but but yeah, but that was my intro to the band, and and I like it. I, I love the album. So when I finally get to it on my list, I figure it'll it'll really because I see so many people will sit there and go, uh, "Live After Death" is the greatest live album of all time, and I'm like, and I always liked, I always love going on there and going. Uh, live after death's not even in my top five, bro. <laughs> for for maiden live albums, <laughs> you know. But uh, he's such a live album maiden hipster. I am. I'm a hipster. So, but I think whenever you hear my number one, I don't think you will call me a hipster. I think it's 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 very. Uh, it, it would be very predictable if it was released whenever it actually was recorded. It would definitely be a predictable choice. But um, it's. For me, my number one album, and this changed. This changed in the last couple of days because when I listened to this the other night and I just thought, you know what? This is, okay. My number one album is the uh, Beast Over Hammersmith that they released uh, in 2002. And I didn't right. I didn't want to choose that because in a way, it feels a little bit like you're going and going, oh, well, it's the number of the Beast tour. You know, it's the, it's the classic era tour. Um. The way I've got it figured, Bruce was born in a mining town in 58. So that would make him about 24 years old when Beast Over Hammersmith yeah. was recorded. And I listened, if you listen to the, um, I think it's Live at Reading on, that was on the BBC archives, yes. my personal opinion, I think Bruce sounds terrible. He sounds like his voice is just worn out. Really bad on that. I was listening to it the other night before I listened to this again, and I thought, "Oh, I'm gonna have to move Beast Over Hammersmith down on my list. I've got it way too high." And then when I listened to Beast Over Hammersmith, I was like, "Wow, Bruce sounds like he sounds like he's rejuvenated when on that." And um, but he, he sounds phenomenal on this album. Um, another yeah. thing that I absolutely love about this album: it's great to hear these songs being drummed accurately. It's nice to hear the yeah. drum fills the way they were actually recorded. And especially on number of the beast songs because they you know when you listen to that recording, you know, you hear Bruce say that it was 2 or 3 days before the album release. So the album wasn't even out yet, which is really cool. Uh it's a great set list. Um let's see here. Uh something else I've noticed and maybe um some of our English friends can um when they hear this can comment on it and say what they think about this but to me when i listen to bruce talk on this you know doing all of his banter in between songs his accent sounds very different on this recording than on any other live album when he talks um and i'm not sure what it is it sounds to me like maybe he was less influenced by the rest of the world cuz you know after this he was you know they were touring the world over and over and over so he probably you know, became more uh, modernized to the rest of the world. But to me, it sounds like his accent, the only way I was say, thinking of it is, 
it's almost just it sounds very British. It doesn't sound like to me, like now you mm. listen to him, he sounds like he just sounds like a, a more just well. I guess he's just a more well-rounded person. He's been so many places, and uh, but it just sounds very British to me. It, it, it I don't know, I don't know. Um, but you know, the one thing I really love about this too is another life is on it, Drifter and Total Eclipse, and you know those songs. None of those will oh. ever see a set list again. So. Well, they did play Another Life um, on the early days tour. Okay, okay. So after Bruce and Adrian came back, so so it did come back, um, but Total Eclipse, absolutely. And uh, Beast Over Hammersmith is is on my list, but it'll take a while to get there. <laughs> okay. um, but the standout track is Total Eclipse. Oh, man, I I love that song. Yeah. I I just wish it had been on Number of the Beast when it came out. But the, the first time I heard Total Eclipse was on the 12 Wasted Years VCR when it came out. <laughs> yeah. The VHS tape. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that song, it just blew me away. It's so cool. It's so different to what Maiden have done. Uh, like it just really stands out in the catalog. Um, it's an amazing song. And Bruce's vocals on it are just stratospheric. Mm-hmm. I, a lot of people say, you know, in the last 10 years, people say, oh, Bruce is singing better than ever. He's a great singer, but I think anyone who thinks Bruce is singing better than ever has never heard Beast Over Hammersmith. <laughs> his voice is his voice is perfect. It's just so pure, and it, it soars. And there's, like, a song like Total Eclipse is it's incredibly high-pitched to sing, and he's absolutely flawless on it. That When he sings The Prisoner on Beast Over Hammersmith, he hits every note as good as on the album. It's, it's yeah, he just sounds incredible. So you think this is the peak of Bruce's vocals? Live, yes, I do. Okay, I think he had to, and to be fair, I think he had to change his singing style, or he wouldn't be able to sing on large tours, and he wouldn't have been able to sing for so long as he had. He had to change the way he sings. Um, whereas on Beast Over Hammersmith, he's, he's come fresh out of the studio. And he's singing as if he was still in the studio. Good point. So his pitch is, is totally different. That's a good point. Um, he he couldn't sustain that style of singing. No one could. But they captured it, and it's 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 magnificent. Okay. Well, when we get when we get to my number two album, which you're going next, but when we get to my number two, that's the album live that I felt like Bruce was at his peak on. So. Yeah, uh, we might have the same number two. I've got a sneaky feeling. Okay. So for me, my number two is Made in England, or retitled Made in England 88. We do not have the same number two. (laughs) We do not. Interesting. So um, on my notes here, um, the the only thing that kept this album off my number one spot was the sound quality. Okay. Um, It's not a very good recording. Um, And I don't know why. Martin Birch recorded it. The same guy who recorded Live After Death. But the sound difference in Made in England is, is pretty pretty stark. And I remember Kevin Shirley when he was remixing it for when that when it came out again. Yeah. He wrote on his online diary, his website, that he was rec- working on a remix of an amazing performance, but an average recording. Um, oh wow! Which I think sums it up. The uh, the band is amazing in this. Absolutely brilliant. Really really good performance. Um, the set list is just sensational. Absolutely superb. Uh, but the sound quality kind of lets it down. 
Hmm. Um, the video is really, really good. Um, I actually listened to the CD a lot. I've been listening to it a lot in the last week, sort of going through my list and making sure that it was all current. Sure. But if you look at the set list for this, there's a lot of this is a surprisingly high number of deep cuts. So, like the first two songs, Moonchild, Eel, that men do, fair enough. That's on the seventh tour of a seventh tour. But then they go into the Prisoner and Still Life. Uh, your favorite, Die With Your Boots On. Uh, <laughs> I didn't count Infinite that one. Dreams. <laughs> Infinite Dreams, which was released as a single off of this album, but I'd call that a reasonably deep cut on Seven Sun. And then into Killers. Yes. I mean, that's one, two, three, four, five arguably deep cuts in a row uh, and right in the front half of, of a live set. So it's a pretty ballsy set list overall. Um, and it's... When you put it up against most of their live releases, I think it's the one with the most deep cuts on it. And, yeah, it's great. Well, see, I don't consider Infinite Dreams a deep cut because it was an album cut from the tour, from the current tour. But but given given the what's been what's uh, transpired since, it's very deep cut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fear, fear. And then later on, you've got them. Obviously, you've got the hits like the Clairvoyant, but you've also got the title track, Seven Son of a Seven Son. Yeah. Just amazing. Okay. So for me, uh, Made in England, uh, 88, I guess we'll call it, that was my first tour to attend. And mm. to me, the one two punch of Moonchild and the Evil That Men Do is pretty much unbeatable. Uh, name me a better one two punch than on any Maiden yeah. tour. I mean, maybe. Maybe the Wicker Man and uh, Ghost of the Navigator. That's that's pretty pretty bad. I mean, that's pretty uh, awesome. Not bad. I was going to say another word, but I had to censor myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> Family show. Yeah, um, but like, and I love the you know they go out of Moonchild and you know you hear that way you hear the baby thing and all that and then yeah and then when it when it goes into the evil that men do is like bump and he goes. He goes, welcome to the, I can't remember what he says, but he goes, and welcome to. Good evening, Birmingham. Welcome to the NEC. And welcome to Iron Maiden. And just the way the yep. music sounds and the way he says everything. Oh my gosh. It just sounds, it makes you feel like for me, I mean, I feel like I'm sitting there watching the show. Like I'm in the crowd. Yeah, it's, it's very theatrical. It's very theatrical, that intro. Yes. Yeah, His little speech that you just rattled through there suits the intro music so perfectly. It is awesome. Yeah. Like I said, that's a great, great, great one two punch of a, you know what? Yeah. And I could, I went to that tour and I, I always, I mean, I didn't really remember it exactly how they did it, but I always thought they came, they played Infinite Dreams second. But I'm assuming that they must have played the Evil at Men Do second on that when I saw them as well. So, yeah. Um, and here's another uh, a spot where they they did six songs from the album that they were promoting, which is which is awesome, you know, because they played it. Um, even uh, now, the worst part of it is the, there's a certain. Uh, Bruce's, I guess, I don't know if he was doing a Sesame Street deal, but he starts counting. He's like, he does. a one, he does. a two, a one, you know, that whole thing and that. But I will say, when I listen to it, and I know I've been pretty hard on that song lately, but when I listen to it, you know, and they come in with the, can I play with madness? And I thought, that sounds pretty decent. It doesn't sound as bad as, I, as I've been talking it uh, about, talking it down. So... And then I listened to the whole song. I listened to the chorus. I was paying really close attention to how the vocal sounded on the chorus. And I just kept thinking, what's, um, 
am I taking some kind of hallucinogenic drugs or something? Because it actually sounds good to me. <laughs> but um, yeah. And then, and then I wrote, you know, I was talking to about uh, the deep cuts and I said, Bruce sounds phenomenal. Um, uh, the deep cuts that I put down, cause I didn't count the uh, infinite dreams, obviously, because I thought it was an album cut, but the prisoners still alive and, and yeah. killers. I was like, of course, die with your boots on. No, they could have left that off, but uh, you know, and they could have put some Birmingham if you're gonna die. Yeah. die with your boots. Yeah, I like on. I, I like the whole yeah I like the whole uh, the whole um, saying of it, and and I like the I like the mindset of it, but and even um, I ordered the uh, the West Ham United uh, Iron Maiden jersey. And on the sleeve, on yeah. the sleeve, it says "Die with your boots on" on the uh, sleeve somewhere. So that's does it really? It does. Oh, that's clear. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, now I will say this: On "Hallowed Be Thy Name," Bruce sounds terrible because he can't keep up. The band is playing at they're playing the song so fast. He it's yeah. like he literally, you know, when the priest comes to read me the last right, take a look. Like you listen to that, and it's just. It's hard to listen to, and it, and it, you want to hear an even worse version of it. Listen to the um, what is it? The Donington Monsters of Rock from the BBC. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm telling you, I had to finally turn that part of the audio. I had to just fast forward through all of it because I could not stand. It was I thought Bruce sounds terrible on that whole recording, but um, that's not where we're at. But not not his fault, right? And then that's. You know, you look at Adrian leaving the band. And oh, yeah. When he came back, he said that the band were playing them so fast, these tracks, that they were choking the life out of them. And you can totally understand where he's coming from. Let me ask you a question about that. Let me ask you a question about that. Do you blame that on Nico because the drummer is the timekeeper? Or do you blame that on Steve because Steve could have easily just said, Nick, we got to slow this down. We got to, we got to play the, or cause a lot of people think because of the thrash metal and things that were going on, that maybe that was a reason they were trying to speed things up. What do you, what's yeah. your take? I, 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 in my view, remembering interviews that were published at the time, they liked playing fast because it got the crowd more excited. Okay. And the more excited the crowd was, the faster they would play. <laughs> and I think that's why something like Donington potentially is even faster and sounds a little worse because the crowd is so big the energy is so huge that they get so much more excited yeah. um but yeah I, I would blame nico and blame's the wrong word but i think steve and nico are responsible for that together um remember all the conversations around flight of icarus yes and how steve and nico were always trying to speed it up and bruce and adrian were always trying them to slow it down yeah. so I, I put the two of them about the culprits yeah I mean, I play drums, and I know anytime I've ever played music with people, if if the drums speed every, if the drums start speeding up, then the the musicians really almost don't have a choice but to yeah. join on, and because other because if you don't do that, it's just a train wreck. So, um, yeah, so, okay. So. so my number two, I was I was really excited when you started saying, "Oh, we're going to have the same number two. I was like, "Oh wow, okay." Um, <laughs> my number two. And this is when I felt like Bruce was at his absolute peak as a vocalist, because I feel like on beast over Hammersmith, he's 24 years old. He's, he's still a young guy. He hasn't, you know, if you listen to the way he sounded with uh, Samson, he, he's, he obviously, I mean, he's got this incredible, incredible range and everything, you know, on beast over Hammersmith. And, but it was like, he was still trying to figure it out. It seems like to a certain degree. And, 
I think by the time that they recorded my number two, which is Rock in Rio, he was at his absolute peak. He was, let's see, what was that, 2001? So he would have been, how old would he have been? Uh, he would have been 40, 43? Is that right? Is that? I don't do maths. Uh, okay, if he was born in 1960, yeah. Okay, F- 58, so 40, 58. roughly 43. So he was roughly about 43 years old. He's 20... He's 20 years or, you know, 20 plus years into his singing career. And as a, you know, as a early 40 year old man, you're still, you're still kind of in, you you know, I know we're both near that area, but you still really feel like you're in the prime of your life and you've got everything there still. You know what I mean? All the. Yeah. Okay. So here's what I said about it. First off, the enormous crowd. I mean, Right off the bat, I mean, on the Wicker Man, they make their presence known. You know, the one when they're singing the choruses, and um, yeah, I mean, and and that crowd. I, I was doing a little reading earlier, and I think they said that it was a quarter of a million people there. So two hundred fifty thousand. Yeah. Yep. So that is, I mean, that's obviously huge. But the crowd, the way the crowd sounds on that recording. I mean, I can't, you know, I know you, you probably agree, but anytime you listen to it, you're getting goosebumps when they're singing like Fear of the Dark and things yeah. like that. And just, just, just incredible. But they did six songs from Brave New World, which was awesome. They brought out The Klansman. They brought out Sign of the Cross. And to me, I will say this. I've probably said it before, but to me, that says a ton about A, the band, and really, actually, A, Bruce. B, the band. Because... They could have easily just swept all of that stuff under the rug like like Judas Priest ended up doing. They've never played anything from their uh with Ripper Owens with uh Rob Halford and to me yeah. to me or, I think that's or Van Halen with David Lee Roth yeah. not singing any Hagar songs. Yeah, and to me your own song. Exactly. That's a to me and that's huge because people want to hear everything and I mean to me it says a lot about the integrity of Bruce and Bruce is like, look they're good songs. Let's sing them. So that's the way I think he probably looked at it. Yeah. Um, but I love that they immediately went on on the very first tour and they were playing songs that Blaze was a part of. Um, and let's see if I said anything else about it. Okay, the set list is awesome and incredibly great. I mean, of Brave New World is it's way, way up there in my list of, of top albums. So to have six songs from it is really awesome. And to me, that's a... That to me is one of the very best set lists they've ever done, um, but the crowd—you can't say enough about how much the crowd elevates the show. And like I said, yeah. Bruce is at the top of his game, so that's my number two. I absolutely adore. This was my number one up until about two days ago. <laughs> so nice. Well, do- so Rock and Rio was my number three. Okay. Um, so I yeah I, I adore it as well. Agree with everything you said. I, um, I'd add in that the intro music Arthur's farewell yes is sensational. And for me, the the, the, the anticipation of the crowd mm-hmm. as soon as Arthur's farewell starts, um, you can hear you can hear the crowd. You can sense two hundred fifty thousand people, but you can also hear individual voices. Yeah, and you can hear the the excitement. It's sort of it's. Uh, it's sizzling, you know, yeah. sizzling and snapping the atmosphere. And it just builds up. This is because Arthur's farewell is instrumental, but there's a, a, a choral voice element that comes in near the end. Uh-huh. And you can hear Nico baiting the crowd and the crowd just roaring. 
Oh, it's, it's awesome. And then the, the intro music just stops all of a sudden, and Adrian just bursts out with the intro riff to The Wicker Man. And oh, it's just great. The crowd roars, you know. So I've got in my notes that Rock and Rio is the best crowd performance on any Maiden live album. Yeah, yeah. The, the energy of the band is one thing, but the energy of the crowd is another. Oh, yeah. And you combine the two, and it's it's like wildfire. It's just it's 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 such an exciting album. Okay, let me. Yeah, it's great. This is the one on the intro where it's like, I know, I man, I thought that right. That's it. Okay. Yep. This is a family show, so I'm not going to say what I've always, what I kind of pieced it together as, but I always thought that it almost sounded like they were saying iron uh, trucking maiden. If, <laughs> if, you, if you listen to it, you can almost, that's, you know, you know what I mean, but um, you can almost, I could almost hear that in there. It's like, I don't, I made So uh, now I'm worried that I'm never going to unhear that. Trust me. You may have just ruined no, Rock and Rio for no, me for the rest of my when life. When you hear it, because just imagine if that's what they were really saying. Like, this is how awesome they are. We put together <laughs> a, 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 um, an orchestrated version of, I don't know how old that song probably is, but, or where, I mean, I know I've used it. I've listened to it before and it's phenomenal just to listen to it, knowing the context of how it got used eventually. So, Yeah, yeah. It's from an old movie called First Night from like the mid 90s. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, it's got Sean Connery as King Arthur oh boy. and Richard Gere as Lancelot. So oh, it's a bit of a disaster. Okay, film. yeah, I've heard of it. I've... Yeah, I'm pretty sure the lyrics are Latin. Um, yeah, they are. Maybe it's the Latin for Iron something maiden. Who knows? Yeah, that's, that's what it sounds like to me. Uh, it, it doesn't always, There's there, but there's certain <laughs> parts when you listen. If you listen to it like that, I promise you, you're at least going to hear it once where you're going to go, oh, wow, it sounds just like that. Okay. So, you see, now I'm worried I'm always going to hear that. <laughs> oh, man. So... Yeah. Okay. Um, the, the one negative spot on this album for me yeah. is Dream of Mirrors. Uh, I don't like the song. I didn't like it on the Brave New World album. Really? Yeah, it's, yeah. I saw this tour. Um, I saw it on – after this album came out, actually, I saw it at the, the Clive Burr um, tribute, Multiple Sclerosis Benefit Gigs yeah. at um, uh, Brixton Academy and it was the same set list mm-hmm. and Dream of Mirrors yeah it's just a I don't want to use the, the term snore fest but it's probably the least interesting song oh, wow. I've seen made play it's long it's plodding it's kind of it's kind of dull it's a bit of a dud for me oh, but everything else is brilliant even that chorus I only dream in black and white that doesn't yeah okay oh. fine wow that's a uh, I'll uh... I, I love everything on that album. You, you know who else only dreams in black and white? Who? My dog. My dog. <laughs> and his dreams are very, very boring. No. So, watch your dog while it's sleeping. You'll be seeing them legs move, and he's, there's something exciting happening there. <laughs> he's, he's twitching because he knows the Klansman's on next. That's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, okay. I guess I guess since that was your number three, then it's time. That was my number three, gotta, yeah, and your number two. Yeah, so i got to give you my number three now. So I'm... I'm really I'm wondering where this will show uh, show up on your list, or if, if it will. I wonder if this will show up in your top five. I don't think it will. My number three is more of Bruce at his peak, which was the very next tour, which was the Death on the Road tour. And this the um what this was in Chile, I believe, is where this one was recorded. And Death on the Road is from Dortmund, Germany. Dortmund, okay. 
Then uh, I'm not really an Iron Maiden fan. I'm, you probably figured that out by now, but uh, <laughs> uh, they're just a hobby for me. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. I, to me, this is more of Bruce at his peak. Uh, the crowd immediately shows. You know, they're 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 another great crowd, and I, I don't think uh, I know the the opening track is a weak spot to me, but it's powerful. It's pretty good live. It's a good. It's a better live than it is on the. Uh, um, yeah, with wildest dreams. Yeah. yeah, and I like you know they go into Wrathchild and the way that the the crowd completely Bruce doesn't even sing it. He's just like, well, I'm a and they they sing the chorus every time on Wrathchild. I love that. Uh, Can I play yeah. with madness? Sounds good. There's not a one, two, three, four. They just it's just Nico. No more and no more lies. No more lies sounds awesome on this. I love. Yeah, doesn't it? I love, yeah. I know we discussed this on my number three thing, but man, it sounds great. And uh, another, another time, and I hate to say this because uh, I know a lot of people give Blaze Bailey a lot of crap, but Bruce totally owns Lord of the Flies. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just the way he he goes so high on that chorus that it, it it's does. incredible. It, it lifts the whole thing, eh? I mean, it's a great song. I love the Blaze version. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But the Bruce version, when he goes up an octave or two, oh yeah, it's just oh man, it's it's spine chilling. It's brilliant. Yeah, and now they did they did six songs from Dance of Death. Another time when they did six, um, that's just to me. There's not very many bands that go out and play and a new album and play six songs. And Iron Maiden, even forty years into their career, they're doing it still. So. Um, that's just another reason that yeah. Iron Maiden rules. So that's my number three, Death on the Road. What is your number uh, yeah. four? Is your number four next? My number four. Okay. Well, I'll quickly comment on on Death of the oh, Road. Oh yeah, I'm really sorry. Like yeah, go it. ahead. It didn't make my it didn't make my top five. Okay. Highlights for me are Passchendaele. Oh yeah. Um, which is really some of the first theatrics that they brought in with Bruce dressing up and sort of acting out a part. They had the barbed wire come on. Um, and the reading of the poetry and the shell firing mm-hmm. at the start of the song, it's its genius. And Lord of the Flies, glad you called that out because it's a brilliant, brilliant version. And I also really liked uh, No More Lies and Journeyman off of this. Yeah, the crowd uh, singing the chorus of but, Journeyman was good too. Yeah, and, and I, I love how the, they slow the whole show right down because it's the first song of the encore. Yeah. And it's its a, it's, it's a really intimate performance. Mm-hmm. Which sounds weird when you're playing to like I don't know how many people do like twenty thousand or something yeah. in this big arena, but it, it's a really it's intimate, it's personal, and it, it, it sounds great, and it's a superb performance. Yeah. Let me let me ask like you it. one question. Yeah, it, did, it didn't make my top five. Though. Let me ask you a question. Um, the the sound effects at the beginning of the Passchendaele uh, of the of you know with the where you hear like yeah. the plane the shells is, is yeah. that the same sound effects that they used for um, where Eagles Dare on this last tour. No, it's not. Okay, because that's when I heard, you know, I mean, I know I told you that before. Uh, I thought they were going to play Passchendaele when they played Where Eagles Dare, and I thought it was the, right. you know, very similar. So, okay, sorry. So, so then in, in the Legacy of the Beast tour before Where Eagles Dare, they play sound bites from the movie. Mm-hmm. They have uh, machine guns firing and explosions, whereas at the start of Passchendaele, it's that wailing, the shrill wailing sound of, of shells okay. falling. That's, that's awesome. Okay. It sounds good if you've got a good subwoofer. And you really crank it up. Oh, I bet. Yeah, it's great. I bet. Great night. Love it. <laughs> All right. My number four. 
It's a new one. You may not have heard of it before. It's called Knights of the Dead. Whoa. New album? What are you talking yeah, about? <laughs> well, you know, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> for our older listeners there. Uh, Knights of the Dead. Now, this, I think no one was more surprised than me that it made my top five. And, and for a, a couple of days, it was actually my number three. Oh, wow. I was tossing up between this and Rock and Rio. Um, but I put Rock and Rio ahead of it. And I know people are sick of hearing me say this, but uh, because the crowd in Knights of the Dead sound like they're playing to the dead, um, <laughs> which I think is really unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but the, for the positive side of things, because, you know, out of 16 odd releases, this is my number four. Yeah. Which, you know, when, when your, your band members are all in the 60s, that's an incredible effort. Oh, yeah. Um, the set list is obviously, I think the set list is the best they've done. Um. <sighs> You, you you couldn't ask for more out of a live show in terms of theatrics and the pyrotechnics and the inflatables. Oh yeah, and the energy of the band, and the band sounds awesome. Like the the recording of the band, oh man, it's just first class. All the little nuances that you pick up that are that I would never hear on on more recent live albums. It's more like I think I think Steve Harris sat down and listened to Live After Death and went, maybe we've gone too far with the crowd noise in the mix. Because all the detail and Nico's playing, all the little fills he was doing, all the little playful things he does on the cymbals yeah. when songs are just starting up, you, you'd lost all that over the last like four or five live albums because you hear the crowd roaring and singing all the guitar melodies, which is cool. Yeah, you don't know what you're missing out on. Um, so you get the like the keyboards come really strong through in the mix, which isn't as bad as it might sound but keyboards actually oh, they, sound pretty yeah, good. they use so many um, of them, yeah. you, get to, you get to hear they do it's an important part of their sound right they shouldn't ignore right. it um you hear a lot of little little nuances from nico that you hear the thing that got me most excited was all the little bits of noodling that you hear from adrian in particular all his little guitar noodles his little bluesy riffs he plays um just drops them into different parts of the songs um, that really lift things up, and you can hear them having fun and being creative on stage that you don't get to hear on, on most of their live albums. So uh, it's cool. It's cool. And the other thing, I know you're a huge fan of, of backing vocals, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know it's a really important element. It really you. is. It um, really is. <laughs> Adrian's vocals on this are prominent throughout. Like All the songs with backing vocals, they come through really, really clearly, and his voice sounds great. Um, he has got a really good voice, so it's cool to hear that. Now, Here's my bugbear with the album, and this is why it only made it to number four, not to number three. Not only is the crowd muted, I think, and this might be a little controversial, I think the crowd noise has been altered, not just dropped down in the mix. What I want you to do when you get the album is go and listen to Revelations. Uh You know the start of of Revelations? Yeah. You know the bit? Yeah, yeah. In all the live albums that have recorded that, the crowds sound amazing. And when you hear them, you can picture in your head, you can picture the crowd screaming, yeah, and throwing their fists in the air, right? Right. And time with Bruce course, on stage. Of course, You listen to the start of Revelations on Nights of the Dead, and it sounds like background noise. It sounds like the kind of crowd sound you'd get out of a, out of a uh, keyboard or a synthesizer. Interesting. It doesn't sound like a crowd that are screaming in unison and punching the air following Bruce Dickinson's instructions on the stage. Right. It sounds like random background noise, and I reckon it's been altered. I don't know why, but 
that uh, it doesn't sound very good. It's funny because hearing you talk about this, you got me really excited to want to hear the album based on, like you said, hearing all the little small things that you don't hear because of the crowd noise. But then when you talk about the lack of crowd noise at the end, you make me think, oh, do I really even want to listen to this? <laughs> yeah, I'm such a downer. But look, it, once, once you get used to it, and it doesn't take long to get used to it because the, the performances are so good and the recording is so good, you don't miss the crowd anymore. Yeah, There's, there's little bits like what I talked about in Revelations where it's hard to ignore the crowd sound because it sounds so weird. Yeah. And it just sounds so unnatural. Like if you play Revelations off any of their other live albums and then immediately play the version of Nights of the Dead, you'll know exactly what I mean and it'll bug the hell out oh, of you. Oh, yeah. I know but what you're the, talking the, about. So the album is, is just so, so good. Yeah, it's great. And hey, kudos for finally getting another track from A Matter of Life and Death released on, on a live version. Because uh, w- before this, we had uh, Different World and Reincarnation of Benjamin Brieger's B-Sides and that was it. Yeah, and now we finally get another track for the greater good of God, and it's just amazing. I will say this: you know, you know how people say we'll never get a live version of "Somewhere in Time," we'll never get a live uh, tour of it, an official release, or we'll never get a live "A Matter of Life and Death." People talk about that, but you think about it: when they put out "Beast Over Hammersmith," it was in two thousand two, so it was a full twenty years later. Um, I know we're past 20 years on somewhere in time, but maybe there's still hope for a matter of life and death. <laughs> oh, they've definitely got recordings. They'll have soundboard recordings for it. And I don't know about the somewhere on tour, Yeah, whether they recorded that. I know, we, I know they didn't do video, but I'm pretty sure they would have recorded the audio somewhere. Yeah. I'm sure Harris and Small would have got it in their vaults. Oh, sure, sure. We'll get it sometime. Yeah, you sure hope so. You sure hope so. You know, I was at the tour, um, the Legacy of the Beast shows that were within a week or two of these Mexico shows. So I know 100% that Bruce was still doing the da-na, yeah, da-na, yeah, yeah. You know, so. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, like I said, it was a little, the, the little bits that I did hear from this album were definitely baffling. You know, hearing the lack of noise, but like you said, if if it's if it's there, if it's gone, so we can hear the actual music being played. It's almost like hearing them record. It's almost like they recorded it in a studio, is the way you describe it, because the crowd noise is yeah. so low. Which is, it's fine with me. They could re- they could record a full live album like that, go through a whole set in the studio. That'd be fine with me. I wouldn't even care. You know, I just want to hear it. So. Yeah, uh, the, 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 the one bummer about this crowd noise thing is the people of Mexico must be so annoyed. If, if I was at that show and that's how I was represented on a live album, I'd be really angry about it. I'd be like, why does Steve Harris hate Mexico? Well, check this out. Um, and I don't know if you saw this, but there's a guy on uh, Twitter that, that that comments on some of my stuff. His name is, uh, I hope I say his name right. Gabo, it's G-A-B-O, Gabo Harris, I believe is his name. And he was at, you know, he was at at least one of those Mexico City shows. And he said, I asked him about it. I said, how do you feel having heard these and hearing what they've done to the crowd noise? Because, you know, at least from what I've heard, and he just acted like it didn't bother him one bit. So I said, hmm. Well, that's cool. That's good. Yeah. So I thought, and I thought it was really cool to actually get the perspective of someone that was at one of those shows. So I was like, cool. So, yeah. um, cool. Now, um, that was your number four, correct? 
That was my number four. Okay. Well, my number four was something we've already discussed. It was made in England. So what is your number five? My number five is something we've already discussed as well, and that is Beast Over Hammersmith. Ah, okay. Okay. Well, there you go. let me go with my number five then. I'm going to add something that hasn't been on here yet, which... Oh wow, this is going to shock you. You're 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 probably really wondering at this point where my uh where live after death is. <laughs> um my number 5 is Envivo from the nice. Yeah, it's from um the uh Final Frontier tour. I'm sorry if I if I sound like I have is. a super lack of sleep or am, am I mean I I normally sound you know, pretty brain dead anyway, but I'm probably sound a little worse because <laughs> of lack of sleep right now, lack of rest and everything. But, but you know, it's uh we're talking maiden and it's always good to talk maiden. So, uh, on in vivo, they've got the great South American crowd. Um, yeah. And you know, that the, the, the crowds were so much a part of these old live, all of these live albums, especially in the two thousands. Um, the band sounds great. There were, now I don't count, um, the satellite 15 is an album track. I just count that as mm-hmm. part of the final frontier. If you count that there were technically six album tracks, but the fine, the, uh, the satellite 15 just plays. It's not like they're actually playing it. So yeah, that's right. So I said they did five album tracks. The deep, the deep cuts on here were dance of death, the wicker man, blood brothers, and the evil that men do. And anytime the evil that men do is in a set list, it's a great set list. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so, 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 so great. So I didn't write a whole lot of notes on this one because I was moving further down my list, but I noticed actually when I started making my notes, I was moving upward instead of downward. So I've got more cause I, you don't have a number six. So I have a number six. Um, well, I'll just say on in vivo, in vivo, really cool. Love the video for this. I think this is probably my favorite of their live video releases. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the way it's filmed. The the guy from Banger Films, um, yeah, the Canadian chap um, who makes the great documentaries, right? Um, yeah, it's really really good. Um, Scott and Sam Dunn. That's it. Sam Dunn. Dunn. Yeah, I remember name. that. Yeah, the way they do it with the split screen and they use a lot of drones. They intercut shots of the crowd with what's going on on screen. And yeah, just it's it's really cool. It's really fun to watch. Um, again, I. There's a couple of tracks on here that made it impossible for me to put in my top five, namely When the Wild Wind Blows, yeah. which is even worse live than on, on the studio album. Um, there not many songs are worse live, but that, that is one of them. Uh, and I'm not a huge fan of The Talisman. I know that certain other podcast hosts are probably choking on their wheat picks right now, but for me, The Talisman's a little bit repetitive. Yeah, and, and um, certain podcast but, but yeah. hosts that you're talking to as well. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I, po- exactly. I posted that on uh, Twitter today or yesterday. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. I'm like, really? But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a good song. Yeah. Um, I don't think it. I don't think it should be nine minutes long. Mm. But yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Um, but yeah, overall, it's an it's an awesome album. Really, really cool video. I think I, I definitely agree with you about um, when the wild wind blows because uh, I was listening to it. Uh, today and it got to a point where i was kind of almost looking at my watch kind of like going okay uh let's get a move on here you know it's it's um but i do i like the um 
I like I love the intro, the way it starts out because it's it's very it's got this very yeah I like that a lot I really like that a lot and I do like this song and but you know but at a certain I'm trying to just yeah I, I I'm not gonna sit here and defend it it's but it I mean I've never I've, <laughs> I'll say this I've never I certainly have never written a song that good and I never will I think I think it's a good song it's just not it's it's just too long it's it's a little you know so um but i do like the song yeah. i just don't love it um okay so my uh i'll go to my number six because you don't have a number six and you'll be able to comment on all of these and uh my number six um i'll give you a hint it's number six uh so my number six has three more sixes in the title of it it's uh Fly, yeah, nice, nice. Flight six six six. So I thought that was a pretty good. Sp- I, it was funny because I originally had this at number five, but I'm, when I started moving some stuff around, it ended up at number six, and I was like, okay, that's probably a good spot for it. Number six. Um, cool. Uh, now, one of the things I really don't like about this album and another album further down, yeah. I don't like when they do a live album and every song is from a different show. I like I like I like the cohesion of one full show. I like hearing Bruce call the crowd the same thing over and over, saying the same thing, scream for me Rio or whatever, yeah. you know, instead of, you know, one one minute he's in Australia, the next minute he's in Chile, the next minute he's, you know, wherever. Um I don't really care for that too much. Um but I do I do but I do like uh in, in a way I do kind of like hearing the different crowds but it, it like I said I hate the everyone everything fades in then fades out then at the end and I hate that I hate that um yeah yeah I don't like that either you you you, you pulled out of it yeah like when you listen to a live album I want to feel as though I'm in the crowd right and when it fades out between tracks you, you just you lose that immersive feeling oh yeah yeah um, I'll tell you what, what I, I, I wrote, I wrote a couple of notes. I didn't write a ton, but I wrote a few things about this and the very last thing will tell you something about, uh, live after death. I said, uh, I said the band, obviously the band sounds incredible on this album. I mean, they sound, what yeah. year was, what year was this tour? Was this like, uh, 08? Is that around the time? 2007, 2008. Okay. okay. Um, a couple of the biggest highlights on the album, which obviously one, you know, what's coming, having Adrian Smith sing by himself on wasted years was really cool. And, and funny. when I listened to it, um, like say even as far back as on made in England, I think why, why haven't they been doing this for all these years and why don't they still do it? Yeah. I, I don't understand that because it's a really, it's a good novelty thing to do. I mean, it's, it's an Adrian song. Um, obviously the other thing that was the biggest thing for me on this album was Moonchild with the guitars playing the intro and them actually yeah, playing, playing the, the intro, actually playing the full song instead of it being a recording. Yeah. I thought that was really, really cool. I said, basically yeah. this album is live after death on steroids. <laughs> it's just, um, I think they sound a million times better. I, Maybe I just don't rem- think of the recording. I haven't listened to Live After Death in a bit. I didn't listen to it before we did this either. Uh, I was trying to really make sure I listened to the ones that I didn't listen to quite as much. Um, but yeah, to me, every th- you know Bruce sounds a lot better on this album than he did on Live After Death. Cause to me, on Live After Death, it's the end of a tour. He just sounds pretty worn out, except maybe on side four. So, 
But yeah, I think he sounds incredible on Life After Death personally. Um, but yeah, mainly on side four. He, he, you know, there's all these stories about did he have a sore voice? Did he have a cold? But they, they seem to say that on every live album where it's recorded at one venue. Yeah, um, they said the same thing about um, Death on the Road that he had a cold. Well, it, it definitely. And um, I will say so, this: so I, I didn't write this in my top. I didn't write this in my top okay. five because of that uh, fade in, fade out yeah. nature of it. It's a little bit right. PC for me. This is, and, and it's actually like it is a soundtrack, right? Mm-hmm. This this isn't a live album as much as it is a soundtrack to the movie. So whenever I think of this album, I'm thinking of the movie. I don't think of it as a live album as such. Um, I remember being so excited going to the movie theater because they actually showed it oh, wow. in Wellington and here in New Zealand. Yeah. And I took a whole bunch of friends down who'd never seen Maiden before. And uh, we got good tickets in the theater. They had the movie posters up in the theater as he walked in. That was really exciting. Yeah. Uh, it was really, really fun. Uh, we went. They showed it twice i mean both times um the theater wasn't exactly packed yeah but that's not a surprise but it looked incredible watching my favorite band on a screen that big oh yeah and it just sounded so immense like other than an actual concert you'll you'll never have a better experience than watching that in a theater yeah it it kicks butt it was so so good we um my daughter and i went into a uh i know you don't like kiss but we went and Kiss did that where they recorded a show and then they played it in a theater and I had never been able to take her at that point to see them, but we went and watched it in a theater. So that was, it was really cool. I agree. Something like that. Yeah. And the movie's great. I mean, let, let, let's not ignore that. You know, this is, as I say, this is a soundtrack to the film rather than a cohesive live album, but the film that they put out is great. It's really, really well made. Yeah. It's really interesting. It's funny. There's a really strong emphasis on the fans and the band's relationship with their with their fans. Yeah, it's it's cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, my number seven, and this is probably <laughs> I'll, I'll read you the first line I wrote before um, before, and I'll I'll skip the album name just real quick. I know this may be controversial <laughs> to have this album over Live After Death. <laughs> <laughs> Another one. Yeah. Um, but but I've got my reasons here. Uh, my number seven is Made in Japan, um, and I think it's it's controversial because it's not really a full live album. But I felt like, dude, there's there's four songs on this. I don't care. Have you heard Live After Death? Uh, Have you heard it? Is that an Iron Maiden album? I'm I'm not really a fan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you remember when we talked about side four of Live After Death, and now you're saying it's not as good as four tracks no 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 i'm just saying that okay this is the only representation that paul diano gets on this entire list other than a little later he gets a little bit of a mention because of a of a <laughs> of a uh bonus ep, you know bonus ep album that they released and they released but uh uh and i said some may not consider it a true live album obviously uh some Making some of those people uh, include you, um, <laughs> but it's the it's the only thing outside of the BBC sessions where we have the band live with Paul. Other than I know you said you got a couple of things that you listed um, the live plus the one, live the rainbow, and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, now, but for me, I heard this album. I heard um, this EP. I heard it before I ever heard killers or the first iron maiden album so it holds a really special place to me and you know with the versions of remember tomorrow 
Innocent Exile and Killers. They're all phenomenal versions. Um, to me, Wrath Child and Running Free are they're okay. But I just I wanted to give I wanted to give Paul a little bit of uh, glory in here. So do you? Do you <laughs> Fair enough. And and I think really to me the the version of Remember Tomorrow on here to me that's the definitive version. I love it. I love that version of Remember Tomorrow. Yeah, that's very good. That's very good. Okay. Do you have anything to add? I, I, I've always been amused by the, all right, we're going to slow things down a little bit now <laughs> yeah. intro because he sounds like an Aussie sheep farmer and I've never understood why. Yeah. It's like his accent totally changes as he does the intro to the That's song. That's funny. Always makes me laugh. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's good. It's cool. Um, it's just so short. Yeah, yeah. That's Unfortunately. All. That's all. I prefer the Live at the Rainbow over this. Yeah. Um, because it's got seven songs. It's just more to it. Sure. But yeah, it's a good recording. I've heard better bootlegs with Portiano, you know? It's just, yeah. Yeah. I just need a lot more. Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. It was just, I remember, I remember going to this uh, record store in a mall. My, I don't know, if, I guess my mom would have taken me up there about that time and, uh, you know, by getting it. And it was, you know, the cover with, <laughs> Eddie with the samurai sword and all that. And it was just, it was cool. And mm. I heard it and I listened to it. And I was like, Oh wow, this is awesome. Uh, okay. So let me get to number eight. I know you've been dying to find out what my number eight is. Oh yeah. My eighth favorite Iron Maiden live album <laughs> is called live after death. <laughs> Ah, have you, good one. Have you, Finally, have you heard of this one? You've woken up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of a fan. Uh, but, uh, but I've already kind of said everything. But yeah, obviously, side four is is. I mean, fan, to me, if if you got nothing other than Phantom of the Opera from this, because uh, to me, you listen. I just think if you listen to, you know, you start off with Aces High, you get to Two Minutes to Midnight, uh, Revelations, Flight of Icarus. I know that's your uh, gem right there, but. He just oh, yeah. he just sounds to me he just sounds worn out on that album so uh, to me he sounds authentic like it's an authentic live recording oh that's what I wanted to say a minute ago um, that's one thing I will say about Maiden I think is cool it they definitely do not sound like they took Bruce into the studio afterward ever they never sound these things always sound like you know that's what he sounded like because listen how bad he sounds on those uh, on that BBC. Uh, Donington show. I mean, if they if yeah. they were going to correct something, why wouldn't they correct that? Um, yeah, and Made in England, which I put in my number two live album, he's pitchy all the way through it. Yeah, but it, it's real. So yeah, I love that. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so we'll skip. We'll skip down to my number nine, which originally I had this one uh, much higher, but after after really uh, Flight Six 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 and uh, um, what was the other one that jumped up a little bit. Uh, I don't remember what else jumped up there, but Flight 666 and Maiden England both. I really had didn't rank them so high just because uh, I kind of looked at them as nostalgic tours, but then I, re- then I realized, oh, wait a minute, Maiden England is not a nostalgic. It's an actual recording from that tour. So Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. but my number nine is another album tour. It is the uh, Book of Souls live chapter. Live chapter, yeah. Um, it's great to hear the songs uh, from Book of Souls. There's six of them, another six. Um, Look at that. Yeah. They got Children of the Damned. I just remember, I remember being, I knew it was coming because I actually knew the set list before I saw this show. But man, I just remember being so pumped to be hearing Children of the Damned live because I don't know that I'd ever yeah, heard it yeah. live. I think it, any of the tours I'd ever seen had not had on it. So, yeah. 
that Power Slave, Blood Brothers. Um, but the but another thing that I really don't like about it is the same thing with Flight Six Six Six. You know, the each album, each track fades in and fades out, and it's another location, yeah. and uh, it's very annoying. But but it doesn't really hurt the overall sound of the album. I mean, it's a good album. I mean, I, you listen through it, and it's a really good set list. So. Yeah, it's it's a weird one, this because I I loved the tour, like I raved about the tour when I when I went to see the shows, and when the album first came out, I listened to it a lot, but I've never really gone back to it. I'm not entirely sure why, because the the Book of Souls songs that are on it are all really good. Yeah. Um. Obviously, I wish they put Tears of Clown on here rather than the Great Unknown, but you know, that's fine. Um. Wait, there was some there was the some tracks like, there was some static on the line. I, you, uh, you, that couldn't have been what it. <laughs> oh, it, it, it sounded oh, like you, you actually said that you preferred Tears of the Clown over the Great Unknown. I, that must have been a. No, there wasn't static. There was a Mexican live crowd. Um, <laughs> tracks like if eternity, <laughs> if eternity should fail in Speed of Light, uh, they they sound awesome. Yeah. Diesel Glory's great. Um, not a huge fan of Red in the Black. Uh, the, the actual title track, Book of Souls, it's so good. Yes. Brilliant. But for some reason, this album just, uh, yeah, I listened to it a lot when it came out, but I haven't really gone back to it since. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that leaves me with one last live mm-hmm. album. And for me, I only had th- three more at this point. I had BBC Archives, A Real Live Dead One, and Live at Donington. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I didn't include anything else. I didn't include the uh, Live Plus One or uh, the Rainbow or obviously the nights of the yep. uh dead because i haven't heard it yet but for me i put my i made it and i didn't even have this in there but i threw it up just to make it an even 10 i put the bbc archives in there um you've got the 1979 recording with tony parsons on guitar and doug sampson on the drums which to me is really really cool because just imagine your your tony parsons or your doug sampson and what is this uh 23 years after you recorded this, you know, you get, you find out, Hey, you are on an official live Iron Maiden recording now. Yeah. It's really cool. Imagine how proud like their kids and their cousins and their, well, I don't know if their parents are alive, yeah. but just imagine how proud they would be. Oh yeah. Yeah. My dad was an, it's a really cool thing to do. Hey, did you know my dad was an Iron Maiden? <laughs> no, he wasn't. Yeah. Oh, check it out. He's actually right here. There's his name right there. Drums. Yeah. There's his name in the credits. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, I think that's, cool. and that's really, it's, it's, and it's neat to hear the way I'm more fascinated to hear the drums because you can, you can hear the differences a lot more on the drums. It's really cool to hear like, cause he plays like running, he plays running fleet, bleh, running free a lot different. And it's just cool to hear the differences, yeah. the little differences he plays compared to the way Clive played him. And obviously the way Nico's played yeah. him all these years. So, but I really, really think that's cool. Uh, and the other thing that I think is really cool is the uh, 1980 uh, Reading Festival with Dennis Stratton playing on it. Yeah, those. Yeah, it's excellent. Isn't those it? are both phenomenal. I mean, and and Paul Diano sounds awesome on both of those recordings. Yeah, now, the version of Prowler from Reading 1980. Yeah, man, brilliant. Now I will say if. If they, if these, uh, if the BBC archives uh, recording here did not include the 1982 Reading Festival or the Donington Festival, then this would have been, uh, this would have been definitely, this definitely would have been higher on my list. So wow, 
I mean, it, it at least would have probably, it might have made it to number seven because that's where Made in Japan is. And you take in, like you said, there's more, there's more stuff there. So, and yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and just the fact that, like I said, to me, the fact that those two guys got their due, you know, that, I don't know. I just think it's a really cool, I'm sure it'd be cool to, you know, it'd be cool to see a little documentary about that. Like take those guys, yeah, I agree. talk to those guys, sit them down together and just talk about being in the band. And then, and then fast forward to all these years later and maybe have a sit down with them and Steve Harris or something. I don't know. Yeah. And they've kind of done that with the, the history of videos, right? That's true. That's true. But I'd, I'd like to see more of it. I mean, I, I was thrilled when this was released back in the, like the early 2002 or something. Yeah. Um, I wish they'd do this more. They must have more archival stuff. Like I, I want to have a release from the Peace of Mind tour. I want yeah. Summer on tour. I want a matter of life and death. They've got the stuff. Give it to us. Sell it to us. Take my money, damn it. Yeah, yeah. here's my money. Because <laughs> the the yeah the quality here is really good, right? Yes. And the BBC they know how to record, <laughs> so they've been doing it a long time. So that, that's what impressed me the most when I first heard this was just how good it all sounded. Oh yeah. I was expecting scratchy old recordings, but it sounds like it's recorded you know yesterday. It's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um. Well, so there we have it. That is our. Listening now, you told me that you had a little, um, a little extra, a little extra bit at the end. You said you were going to yeah. name the worst Iron Maiden live yeah. album. So, so I only did five, my top five live albums because I'm lazy. But <laughs> when I was going through them, I did, I did put little. Well, it's not really an asterisk. I drew little turkeys beside two names. Uh, one of them is a real live one. I consider a real live one and a real dead one to be separate albums. Yeah. Because when they were released, which is when I bought them, um, they were released separately. Um, let's maximize money, says Mr. Smallwood. <laughs> um, so I, I still have the originals and, and they're, they're separate albums to me. But, yeah. um, so I think a real live one and a real dead one, the sound quality on both of them is, is really bad. Um, the production's just just really, really poor. Um, but the set list, the, the song choice... Again, it's one of the ones where they jump around from all over, shows from all around the world. But the songs they chose for a real live one, it's a, it's a dog of a set list. If there was an actual live show, yeah, it, it would not be not be very well received. Oh, Too yeah. much stuff off Fear, Fear of the Dark. Sorry, Fear of the Dark fans. <laughs> um, and I'm sure you're out there somewhere, but yeah, not, not a great They album. are. They are. They're out there. But the, the Supreme Turkey Award, um, just in time. Well, you've just had Thanksgiving, right? We did today. So hopefully this turkey was on someone's platter because it deserves to be cut into pieces. <laughs> Raising Hell, the not often seen but often maligned final Bruce show, haha, um, pay-per-view concert that they played in a film studio and then charged money for people to watch all over the world. Did did um, you watch it when they did they, you pay to watch it? No, no. Well, they didn't. They didn't offer that in New Zealand. I think it was only in certain countries in Europe, and I know they offered it in the states as well through cable TV. Yeah, pay per view. Pay per view. Um, so you could pay some dollars to to watch it. So my sister, who was living in the UK at the time, recorded it for me on VHS tape, and then she sent it to me. So I got to watch it about a month after the actual event. Um, and then eventually it was released commercially, so I could buy a proper copy as well. Okay, okay. Uh, but they they did it for those who haven't seen it. 
it's kind of like the Star Wars holiday special <laughs> equivalent of Iron Maiden. Like it's that bad that it's become legendary. They share the stage with a horror magician called Simon Drake. He's probably a nice guy, probably a half-decent magician. But the, the way they sandwiched his routines between the songs, just with really like cringe-inducing puns um, and sort of tacky horror music, horror uh, magic rather, at one point, he amputates Dave Murray's hands and plays guitar solo with his severed hands, which is either brilliant or terrible, depending on your perspective. And the climax of the show is when they they kill Bruce Dickinson. Um, yeah, it's the whole the whole thing's quite awkward. There's a really small crowd in this film studio where they're playing with it, and they look half the time they look baffled more than anything like, i'm not quite sure how to react because they're not quite sure that what they're seeing before them is actually happening um, so yeah it's it's well worth a look for the cheese value alone i've got to admit i've got to admit i have never seen that show and but based on everything you said you're almost making me want to watch it like i'm like there's got to be a certain uh, a bit of comedic um something you could take away from it so yeah, it, it, seriously, it, it is the equivalent, the heavy metal equivalent of the Star Wars holiday special. It's so bad, you've got to see it. Now, this might upset you, what I'm about to say, but I'm not a big Star Wars fan uh, by any stretch mm. of the imagination. I, I've seen, here, I'll just tell you, because obviously you like Star Wars. I've seen the original three movies, the ones that came out in the you know 70s, like what Return of the Jedi and... Um, the original Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. And then I've seen the three, the first three that came out after that, the what the pre- right. prequels or whatever. The prequels. One of them had yeah. Jar Jar Binks, and then I can't remember the other, you know, what the other ones were. <laughs> but I I only saw those because I was letting my son watch them to see if he, you know, mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'll see if he's interested. And he really wasn't interested either. But um I actually have seen that Star Wars special because I heard it was so bad and I watched it and it was pretty funny. <laughs> so Yeah. Um it's just so goofy. And and it's 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 half a musical and uh it, it's hard to believe that the creative genius of George Lucas could come up with the concept of Star Wars and follow it with Empire Strikes Back. And in between he comes up with this utter cheese feast. That's funny. Yeah, it's 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 so funny. Um you, I will. I'm going to save this until I get off of this. But I do. Oh, actually, I can. I can do that. I have an idea now about the uh, raising hell video. So I'm going to. Mm. I think maybe we should do a watch along, like where we. <laughs> I I don't know how you do those things where people can watch it together and watch. It. I, there's got to be a way where we could play it somewhere, where we could both have some kind of control over the the video maybe a shared screen kind of thing or something and watch it together. And maybe we just comment on oh, it as, as we're watching it. Cause I've never seen it and maybe yeah, that'd be I fun. can save it for that. And all of your sarcastic comments about how terrible it is will be, <laughs> you know, that'll sarcastic me. <laughs> I think that'll be fun. I think that'll be something fun to do. So, um, I, I will order in a fridge full of beer for when we watch Raising Hell because that's what it's going to take. <laughs> As I usually ask you, uh, do you have a stiff drink close by? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I think that will about wrap it up as far as um, as far as going through the live albums. Do you have any final comments on anything about the live albums? 
Mm, final comments. I remember it would have been about the time that Rock and Rio came out. I remember thinking, oh, they've got quite a few live live albums, haven't they? I wonder, I wonder if they've put too many out now. <laughs> and of course, they've put out several since then. And I keep buying them and I keep listening to them and I keep falling in love with them. So they have got a bit of a reputation of cranking out live albums more frequently than studio albums, which I think is a little undeserved. But with a couple of rare exceptions, they're all brilliant. I love listening to them all. And whenever I put them on, it reminds me of a specific era of the band. Yes. And I think that's a really cool thing. You know, you get bands like other bands I love, like Tool, who just, like, they'll, they'll put out one live EP over their entire career, and that's it. Yeah. No live videos, no live albums, just like three live tracks, and that's it. Um, I think that's a real shame. Maiden, and most bands are better live, right, than on, than on record. They, most bands describe themselves as live bands. Sure. But I think in Maiden's case, it's, it's more so because of that special relationship with the crowd. Um, that seventh member of the band. So, yeah, God bless them. I hope we get many more of them. Oh, me too. And to, to add on to what you said there, it's great because, like, you go back to Rock and Rio, you've got six songs from that album recorded that you can listen to, live recordings of them from that tour. You go to the next album, six more songs. You go to the next album. Oh, wait, we didn't get one for that one. Uh, you go to The Final Frontier. We got five songs of live material from, and these are 10 song albums. So you're getting at least half the album live. And so many, like to go back to a band like that, you don't like, but kiss, they recorded their first three albums and they released a live album. They recorded their next three albums. They released a live album. Then they recorded about 10 or 12 out. Let's see. They did, uh, Hold on, I'm going to have to count. If you count their solo albums, they did four solo albums. They did Dynasty, Unmasked, The Elder, Creatures of the Night, Lick It Up, Animalize Asylum, uh, Crazy Nights, um, Hot in the Shade, yeah, and Revenge. So they did like, if you count four, so if you don't count the solo albums, they did 10 studio albums before they released another album, another live album. You know, and then now, of course, since then, they've decided, oh, wait, we can make money if we keep releasing live albums. And, you know, they're all about the money. So (laughs) um, one of the many, many, many reasons that uh, and their set lists never compare to Iron, you know, with what Iron Maiden does. I did an episode. Actually, my very first episode I ever did, it was called Iron Maiden versus Kiss. And I was comparing the last three Iron Maiden tours to the last three Kiss tours that I tours that I had seen. And I had seen. Maiden England, um, Book of Souls, and Legacy of the Beast. And I compared that to the last, and it, the diversity and just how many songs they played. When Kiss has these mm. like three and four minute songs, Iron Maiden over those three shows had played 25 more songs. You know, whereas Kiss played the, wow. the same songs over and over and over and over. There was like 15 songs in each show that were the, exactly the same on the Kiss ones. And, it's pretty interesting. If you haven't heard it, you should check it out just to see the difference. Cause it's, it's, I, I found it pretty uh, interesting to come up with the, um, just hearing those numbers. Be- and of course you go see made in Japan and they're obviously playing songs from seventh son that they've never played before. And you go see book of souls. They're playing six songs that they've never played before. So that helps 
factor when in the way I did the numbers, but it was interesting. It was a very interesting and it just proves that Iron Maiden rules. So Yeah, exactly. That's what it all comes down exactly. to. Exactly. But uh hey, I appreciate your time. Uh it's always it's always a, a great to talk to you. Um I need a co host, so you know, maybe we can uh, hook up there. <laughs> but uh I'm open to bribes, mate. <laughs> well I can uh I can send you some stiff American drinks if, if they'll pa- get through customs, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, seriously, I do appreciate the time. I always enjoy talking to you. Um, you know, a lot more about iron maiden than I do. So I need someone that I, you know, if I'm going to have an iron maiden podcast, there needs at least be one true iron maiden fan on there with me <laughs> <laughs> to make it seem legit, nice. <laughs> but uh, seriously, I do appreciate it. So thank you, sir. My pleasure, Steve. Catch you next time, All right. Man. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, there you have it. And I hope everything comes out sounding okay. I use a new uh, recording process here a little bit, so I hope everything comes out okay. It doesn't sound a little bit too uh, – I recorded two things separately and had to – put them together and and fit everything together it sometimes it feels like a little bit off to me so i hope it doesn't come across that way but if it does eh, i need to hire a uh editor i guess <laughs> um but seriously that's it i hope that you enjoyed it and i'm just wondering which one of us is going to be the newly crowned most hated man in podcast land after all of this I bet Mark is probably shaking in his boots thinking that his crown is getting ready to be stripped away. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Seriously, I've got to thank James again for putting up with a second-rate Iron Maiden fan like myself. And I'm very thankful that he keeps coming back for more. So on behalf of myself, James, from Iron Maiden, from Eddie, and from the boys... Things in life are bad They can really make you mad Other things just make you swear and curse When you're chewing on life's gristle That grumble, give a whistle And this'll help things turn out for the best And always look on the bright side of life Always look on the light side of life If life seems jolly rotten There's something you've forgotten And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing When you're feeling in the dumps Don't be silly chumps Just purse your lips and whistle That's the thing Always look on the bright side of life 
absurd And death's the final word You must always face the curtain with a bow Forget about your scene Give the audience a grin Enjoy it, it's your last chance anyhow So always look on the bright side 